whether it's matrescence, whether it's menopause, these are all natural hormonal shifts that all women go through if they choose to have a child. And these are just normal emotions, normal symptoms that we just have to almost expect. Welcome back to Whole Mamas Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we got you covered. Hi, I'm Dr. Ilana Romau, pediatric naturopathic doctor and founder of Nourish Medical Center. And I'm Stephanie Grinke, registered dietitian, program director for Whole30's Whole Mamas Club and the co-creator of Whole Mamas Pregnancy Program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby. Today, we're going to discuss key takeaways from the episode with Dr. Alexandra Sachs on transitioning to motherhood. We're going to get real vulnerable with you mamas, so get ready. Steph and I, we're committed to being real with you guys. We don't sugarcoat anything, and we're really on a mission to support you mamas so you don't feel alone during these tough seasons. And part of how we do that on a more intimate level outside of this podcast is in our program's private Facebook groups. I run Whole Mama's Pregnancy Program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby, where mamas and mamas-to-be from around the world ask questions and share their concerns about motherhood. And in this group, they're guided by hundreds of mamas and mamas-to-be in different stages of their journey. It's a private group, so these women can feel like they can share their deepest secrets without being judged. Or maybe they prefer to be a silent observer and search the group for something they're curious about since there's a good chance their question has already been asked. Things like constipation for both the mom and her baby, genetic testing, emotional eating, sleep training, and relationship concerns with their partners. We've had moms in our group that have absorbed the information for months and then decided that it was a safe spot for them to start opening up. So it's a really warm and knowledgeable group. And I just want to make sure that you know that it's an option for you if you want to build your community from the comfort of your pajamas like I do almost every day when I check in. And the same goes for your program too, right, Ilana? As much as we both want to pour our hearts and souls into every everything and give away as much information as possible, we have to budget our time for our own health, which is why we focus on providing the most intimate coaching in both the podcasts here and in our programs. You got it. And you actually inspired me to start my own private Facebook group because I said, you know, when I was part of your group, Steph, I just saw the community and I saw how supportive it was for these moms. And I thought to myself, gosh, like I need this. I want this for my mom. So my private group is really supporting moms who really, really want to master medicine, who want to really understand how do they use natural therapies with their kids to support them at home with a fever or a cough or a runny nose? And I love seeing how moms are supporting each other. And it's such a safe space to say, hey, my child has a rash. Now what do we do? And it's been so much fun for me to hop on in. I go once a week and I really try to answer all the questions. I post new content and I'm really, really on a mission to helping moms be their own best doctors for their for their kids. And so this supportive community is so very important. I absolutely love what you've done with Healthy Mama, Happy Baby private Facebook group. It's inspired me to do mine and the community support with both groups is so, so wonderful. And so I think we're just up to really great things with our mama. So excited to have more mamas join us. Now, why don't- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. I just thought that, um, especially with this, um, interview you had with Dr. Sachs and she spoke so much about how community support can really, really help shine a light on not making this like shameful or, you know, vulnerable time in, in our lives 
be like such like a, like a stigma or such like a stereotype. Like we can really support each other. And I think our groups really can do that. So I'm really happy to be on the forefront and doing that with you, Steph. Oh, for sure. And making it as easy as possible too. Sometimes it can be hard when you're face-to-face talking about some of these concerns or you're afraid of judgment or you don't want to say something and then have it be this awkward silence because the other person doesn't get it. And so being able to do it virtually, I think there are a lot of really impactful ways that that happens because you can interact with people who may see things differently. Um, and then you you have that layer of security, right? When you are behind your computer and you know, I, we have moms that post at like two in the morning as they're, you know, nursing because something pops up and they want their answers. And by the time that morning strikes, there's like 20 different comments supporting that mom. So I think it's really cool to get immediate feedback. Yes. Great point. And also connecting from people all over the country or all over the world. You know, I think people feel isolated in some communities. Steph, we're so lucky we live in California. So we really can bump into people that have like like like-minded ideas of their lifestyle and how they want to parent or how they want to treat their kids. But there's a lot of people all across the world that just don't have that same type of community. So it's fun to find someone posting, oh, I live in Florida. Who lives in Florida? Oh, I live in Florida or, you know, something like that. And you really feel like you have a sense of community and you don't feel judged because everyone's pretty well like-minded. So it's been really fun. I'm so glad that we have those groups. Me too. All right. Well, now let's go ahead into our nourish yourself segment. Um, Steph, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days to nourish yourself? Yeah. You know, with the whole theme of this recap being about sharing some things that may be a little bit vulnerable so other people don't feel alone and judged, I wanted to talk about what's been going on, you know, the last two weeks or so in our house. Now, we have a very different setup when it comes to sleep. And a lot of people may think that this is insane that we do this, or they may do it themselves. But we, my husband and I each team up and we take one kid when it comes to nighttime. And this has been going on really ever since we had two kids. So right now the setup is Brian is in a room that kind of shares a room with Leo. <laughs> Leo's actually in our closet in a crib. We have a, a big closet and it's nice and dark in there and it's nice and quiet because Otto can be kind of loud. And so he has like this huge closet as his room and Brian is connected to him and that's how they sleep. And then I sleep in a room with Otto and he sleeps on his bed and I sleep on my bed, but we are co-sleeping that way. And that may sound really insane because you might be thinking like, why wouldn't she want to sleep with her husband? Or like, that's strange that she doesn't. But the reason that we do it is because we all are getting such great sleep that way. And I've been able to get full night of sleep for the last like two years. Well, I shouldn't say two years because Leo's two, but like, it feels like two years because I feel really rested and I'm very grateful for that. And what happened just recently is I got it in my head that now that Otto is four, I shouldn't be doing that. He's old. He's too old to be doing that. I was telling myself these stories like, oh my goodness, that is embarrassing that you're still sleeping with him. And all these things that I didn't really feel were true, but somehow I got it in my head that we should be sleeping together. And in 2019, my husband and I are going to sleep together and made all these arbitrary rules for myself. So this weekend, Ilana, we we decided to try it out. We're like, okay, like Otto will sleep in his room by himself and I will join my husband in our bedroom. And I didn't know how to feel about it. I felt 
good. I felt like it was progress in, it was very nice that I was going to be able to share a bed with him again, but there was part of me that doubted it. Like, I don't think Otto is ready. Leo, a different animal. He is, he's wanted to be on his own, sleep by himself from day one. Otto likes to be by people. He's always liked to be by people. He loves being around people. He thrives on that. And we've had lots of sleep issues with him growing up. And the the deal with that was he just wanted to be by us. And we were trying to push him away and have him be independent. And that wasn't working for either of us. None of us were getting sleep. So we tried it. We tried it this weekend. And he kept coming in our room every like 20 or 30 minutes. Mom, when are you going to come sleep with me? Mom, when are you going to come sleep with me? And he he was actually very like quiet about it and thoughtful, but I could tell he was really upset. And right away, my head went to the the sleep training theory of like, well, if you do something, you got to be consistent. Otherwise, it's not going to work out, you know, and, and, and in my head, I was like, you know what? We just need to force this. We need to force this for a week and he'll figure it out and it'll be fine. But it, it hurt. It hurt me. It hurt his feelings. It didn't feel right. And none of us were getting any sleep. And I realized that it would be at least, you know, a good week probably until he realized that this is just how it was going to be. And I remember getting up that morning and just A, being completely exhausted, but B, being like, why am I trying to fix something that's not broken? We're all getting incredible sleep. I have intimate time with my husband when the kids are in their own beds before they go to sleep. And I don't think that now is the right time, you know, especially with the cold and flu seasons. Like we don't want to be pushing everybody getting low amounts of sleep. And so I I told myself, you know what, this, we're just going to keep doing it. And there is no shame in that. He is happy. We are all happy. We're all sleeping well. And just because, you know, you may think that you should be doing something different or your kid's old enough and they shouldn't need you, stop shooting on yourself and do what feels good. Thank you so much for sharing that stuff. I didn't even know that. And we're such great friends. How <laughs> yeah. funny. So you know what? I think what it comes to mind for me is it is very atypical what you're doing but it's working for you. So great. Like, I think if a mom's listening and they're like, oh my God, there's no way I would want to do that. Like, I love sleeping next to my husband. Why I wouldn't do that? Well, then fine. It doesn't work for her. That's okay too. But it really is working for you and it's working for everybody. And so you're right. Like, why mess with something that's working? And if you're starting to find that, look, it's no longer working for me, then you switch it and kids are adaptable and you're going to figure it out at that point. But I think it's great. And I'm so glad that it's, it is working and that you really are trusting your gut. I think that's so important as moms and you've gone back, you know, you've tried it. It didn't work. So now you're going back and who knows, maybe in six months from now, you're going to find that you want to do it and you want to go back to the bed. So who cares? So do it then. But I think that's really, really great. I'm glad that's nourishing you and definitely for Otto. Oh yeah. It's really, it really is nourishing me because I feel like I get really good sleep knowing that I only have to navigate one kid, right? You know, if I'm in the bed with my husband, then, you know, what happens if they're both having a rough night of sleep, right? Like, so sometimes Leo will find himself in our bed too, or sometimes Leo will wake up at night. And if Leo is with us and we're trying to calm Leo and then he wakes up Otto, like, it's just, 
Yeah. Divide, divide and conquer is the case but when you have true, two kids. Because then more. it's waking up Brian if then Leo wakes up and you need to bring him into bed or if, you know, now I like that. I really think that's really interesting. You know, we don't have two yet, but maybe we'll consider that. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, you? I wasn't going to mention this, but now I'm definitely going to mention this as my nourishing practice. But for the last about two weeks, Aviva has been sleeping in our bed. So we've been doing co-sleeping, although Anthony and I are in our bed and Aviva's just right in the middle. And some of me thinks like Ilana, don't do this because now you're creating bad habits and she's going to be like 13 still sleeping in your bed. Like I go like all, all the way to like the worst case scenario. And I say to my husband, I'm like, Anthony, I like, this is so much fun, but I kind of feel like this isn't going to be good long-term. And he goes, Ilana, we only have this one time in our life. As she gets older, we're not going to be able to cuddle like this. She's not going to want to be in our bed necessarily. Like, I love this. Can we please do it? And I looked at him like so surprised. Like I felt like, really, you're okay with this? And so I would say when I was nursing her, when she slept in our bed with us, we would wake up every like hour or two because she wanted to nurse. And so everyone got bad sleep, which was a huge motivation for me to put her in her crib. But now that we're not nursing and now that she's co-sleeping with us, we all sleep through the night. And I'm shocked, but like we all get really good sleep minus the the like kick to the face here and there because of how like (laughs) she squirms, but like it's still pretty infrequent and it's worth it. We've all just enjoyed it so much that I think we're just going to keep it up at least for however long it feels right to do. And especially hearing like your sleep routine and now this sleep routine, like whatever, like this is working for us. And there may be some you know, parenting philosophies that are like, whoa, this is not a good idea. You want to give them more independence. Don't put them in your bed. It's like, you know, it's really nourishing. Anthony and I, we can really tell Aviva loves it. I give her the choice. I ask her every night, do you want to sleep in your crib or do you want to sleep with us? And she's been choosing to sleep with us by no surprise, but still like, it's like a really fun thing we could do with the family. I don't think when we have our second child, that's going to be able to be workable, but I guess we have time to see. And so that's kind of what's happening with us these days. And really, it is so nourishing. So I'm glad that it's working for both of us. Yeah. I mean, honestly, anything that you can do to get sleep is good in my book, right? And there's nothing worse than feeling like you should be doing something and that incongruency with what feels right, especially when it takes a long time for you to see results sometimes, right? Like if you're trying to do it night after night and you're getting so depleted, but at the same time, it doesn't feel right, but you feel like you read it somewhere that that's what you need to do. Like, it's just a tough place. And we've been there so many times that I think I've just like given up on it and just, it was easy for me to switch back to, all right, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Great. Cause it's working for you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, let's finally jump in. I mean, I can seriously (laughs) talk to you forever. I love you. But let's talk about Dr. Sachs' um, interview because she was really wonderful. I can see why you like her so much. But you mentioned that you watched her TED Talk like 10 (laughs) times. And I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. I really intend to. But I'm curious what your takeaways were from that TED Talk because you loved it so much. You know, I just love learning everything and hearing everything about the postpartum experience. So it wasn't hard for me to nerd out on that video like 10 times. Um, But I think not just from like a really relating to her message, uh, but also just loved how concise she was at putting together all the thoughts I have. We are very like-minded in this this realm, Um, but in a way that was something that I feel like moms across the world can nod their head to like, yes, I get that. And it's something that, you know, the postpartum period is an uncomfortable transition and nobody really talks about 
it the way that she does. And I just love that her voice was out there. And now that I think it was over a million views the last time that I I saw it, it just makes my heart so happy seeing that number just go up and up and up so that other people feel less alone and know that we're all very similar. Mm. Yeah. I can see why you like her so much. She's She's very articulate. She clearly has the credentials and the background to speak about this, but she's, she really talks just like any other mom to a mom. You know, she's not overly like arrogant about anything, you know, or that she knows it all. And I think I can see why you would probably like her Ted talk. I can't wait to watch it because she really has great, just words of wisdom and she makes things just so easy to understand. She's really wonderful. I'm so glad you resonate with her since I know you're so passionate about this subject. Yeah. I mean, you probably indirectly listened to it or because she mentioned many of the things that she talked about on the podcast on the TED Talk. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like an audio version of the TED Talk on our interview. Um, but it's still good to see it. You know, people learn different ways. So I, I would recommend seeing it even if you listen to the podcast. But, you know, one of the things that she talks about in that TED Talk and on our podcast is the fact that matrescence has a really similar sound to adolescence. And in fact, they both have very similar hormonal shifts and are symbolic of a major transition for women. So what did you think of this concept since you see adolescents in your practice and you see new moms? So first of all, I love any play on words. So it's such a great way to then remember these words. So I thought that was really fun and wise of her. And I absolutely agree that you can look at these as such unique times in a woman's life and in addition to also menopause. And so I just wanted to speak a little bit about this. I'm glad you're asking this question because I find that we oftentimes want to put a diagnosis on these transitions in life because you do see symptoms arise because you see hormonal shifts. So for adolescents, you oftentimes see acne and you see mood swings and you see more like PMS symptoms, right? Moodiness, irritability, and and potentially also uh, on menarche, you're going to see now new bleeding. With um, menopause, now you're seeing less bleeding and you're also seeing some mood swings and you're seeing some dips of anxiety, depression some hot flashes, some also irritability. And I just find that, gosh, as women, we have so much to go through. Like so frequently, I feel like in our (laughs) lives, we are the ones who really have these shifts. And I just want to mention, there's not, this is not a disease. You know, a lot of people want to put a disease label on either adolescence or postpartum, like postpartum depression, let's say, or even menopause as if it's like a disorder, but it's, it's not for the most part, for the most part, a normal transition is just a a transition of life. Now, when these symptoms become outside of the range of normal, then we can start putting labels and diagnoses on it. So for example, like something like postpartum depression, the the sadness and the absolute um, lack of ability to do things day to day. And, you know, you know so much more about this, Stephanie, but this is more of an extreme of, of postpartum, right? And so then there could be a diagnosis, but again, moms, we have to realize everyone is going to experience ranges of symptoms during this transition that could look like postpartum depression or could look like postpartum anxiety or could look like diagnosable um, diseases, but aren't necessarily because they're not outside of the normal range. So I think the reason why I just want to bring up this topic is whether it's adolescence, whether it's matrescence, whether it's menopause, these are all natural hormonal shifts of that all women go through if they choose to have a child. 
And these are just normal emotions, normal symptoms that we just have to almost expect and, and really get clear on what to expect so that if you know if something is out of range of normal, then it's really important to you know hire someone to really help or get that extra support so that we don't end up becoming a disease state. Okay. Did you follow me on that? I hope that that made sense, Steph. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I kept bringing her around to the fact that, you know, I love this idea of matrescence and I do love the fact that it is, she's calling for people to come out and share their stories and kind of normalize this, what could be normal transition. But I also like kept pushing her to say like, but also don't dismiss yourself as the potential for it being more. And like the only way that you really know if it's going to be more is to go to see somebody and there's nothing, there's no harm or foul to go and seeing somebody and, and understanding if what you're experiencing is above normal. Cause that's very subjective, right? You know, like I'm having a hard time adapting to this new change in my life. Like, how do you know what's normal and what's not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I think one, it's important as moms that we get educated. So we know what to expect, what's normal, what's not normal. And also the support of other moms is talking about it, you know, and being comfortable talking and saying, Hey, you know, I'm really feeling like this. Is this normal? Like are other people feeling this or is this really extreme? And I think that's so important. And that's actually the next topic I want to talk about is how Dr. Sachs mentioned how truly, how she truly believes that if women would to talk more openly about their highs and their lows of motherhood, there wouldn't be as much stigma and shame around it. And she goes as far as theorizing that this could significantly reduce the occurrence of postpartum depression. And I'm, I'm assuming that you agree with her. And I'm curious if you still studied any of this type of social impact while you studied for your certification um, and to get any other evidence on this theory. Did you find out any more about that? You know, it's a bit of a stretch to say that it can significantly reduce the occurrence of postpartum depression because there are a lot of variables when it comes to uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. It requires more than just people talking about it, right? So if there, if the perinatal mood and anxiety disorder is stemmed by trauma that happened in the delivery room or during the pregnancy, or if it is stemmed by a thyroid condition like we talked about with Dr. Campbell, or if it is stemmed by the fact that, you know, she is just um, experiencing very sensitive changes to these hormone adjustments, or if she is experiencing there, it's just the list is endless. When I do a talk about the risk factors for perinatal mental health conditions, um, mood and anxiety disorders, it's so, so long. So I think it is a incredibly valuable component to talk about these things. And I think that it could help people feel more or less alone and maybe allow them to feel more comfortable reaching out to other people, getting help from therapists, but just talking about the struggles um, and posting pictures isn't really enough for those navigating depression and anxiety or OCD. Mm -hmm. I think for paternal mental health, um, specifically uh, for dads here, talking about that transition can be hands down extremely important and a huge step. And we had a podcast with Dr. Daniel Singley, and he discusses this and how peer groups for dads, so bunch of dads coming together and talking about their transition, that shows significant improvements in mental health. But 
we've got to think about it from a biological and a physical perspective from mom that she has underlying hormonal condition changes happening. Um, she's drawn to her baby. That pull is so strong and it could be linked to lifestyle changes and all these other things. So needless to say, it's, 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 it could be that way for dad. It could be that way for partners. Um, but there are so many variables to say that just talking about it alone is going to reduce the risk. Okay. Thanks for sharing. I was curious. And you know, Steph, I'm sorry. I don't think we ever acknowledged that you passed your certification on this podcast. I think I saw that we acknowledged you, you know, on our Instagram page, but congratulations. Oh, <laughs> you're, thank yes, you. you're the first registered dietitian to get this certification. Can you tell me again, what's the title of that again? I know it's postpartum specifically, but what is that, that you got the certification in? Yeah, it's perinatal mental health certified. So, you know, it's really getting that understanding of pharmacology and the different social determinants like you talked about and knowing the resources, where to go to get these moms help and what symptoms to look out for and various considerations when it comes to this field. And there really isn't any certification that's out there right now. Like, of course, there is the psychologist and the psychiatrist and the reproductive psychiatrist, like what Dr. Sachs is. But when it comes to perinatal mental health. This is a very first certification that's out there for healthcare providers. Mm. Well, congratulations. You're such a great resource for so many moms. So I just wanted to acknowledge you on the podcast since we never got a chance to do that, but I see why you, you love Dr. Sachs work. This is so up your alley. I just wanted to, to say that to you. So congratulations and thanks for sharing your insights with us. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's get a little bit more vulnerable because that's what we do here. And um, let's talk about some real life examples of our own personal low moments as mothers. You know, we really want to support moms during this journey of motherhood and be real about what to expect and then offer resources along the way. So Ilana, why don't you start? What an, what's an example of one of your more vulnerable times uh, that you experienced so that you can relate to other moms and maybe inspire them with how you navigated that situation. Okay, thanks. I love being real with you guys. So this is fun for me, honestly, to share. And I know that we've spoken in past episodes and you've actually told me how you feel like I've tackled motherhood so easily or you I make it look so easy or you know, it seems like I never had to go through anything. And I just... I, you know, I really want to be real. It wasn't that it was just so easy, but there have been a lot of really low moments. And overall, yes, I've really enjoyed motherhood. I think we all enjoy it at many times, but I do want to just share a few times that I'm like, no, man, there are days that this is not fun at all. (laughs) And I think we oftentimes share the fun things and the easy times and the highs. And so I'm really glad to be able to share at least some of the lows. I remember when Aviva was very, very young, it was within the first three months of her life. I would really get anxious when I started it, when I started noticing it would get dark outside. Just as the sun would start coming down, I realized like, oh my goodness, like we have to go to sleep now. And I knew that we weren't going to sleep. I knew I was going to be up every hour, if not every 30 minutes just to nurse her. I knew that I was not going to get a good night's sleep. And I would get a lot of like anxiety about like, oh my goodness, it's night again. Like, why can't it just be daytime all day long? And I remember wishing that. I remember being so nervous going to sleep and just knowing like this, this night's going to suck. So like, why even try it? And that probably went on for 
I would say definitely the first three months of her life until she got to a point where she could sleep longer. She didn't need, you know, her stomach was big enough where she didn't need as much milk. And so that was, I would say, one of the lowest points where was that time of day. And I know for all of us moms, we experience different lows. And I just remember saying to myself, like, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Like her stomach is just so small and she needs me during this time, like 24 hours a day. So it's only going to get bigger. Like her stomach can only grow. So I know she's going to be able to make it through the night. And I think that was one of the hardest parts for me was that just interrupted sleep night after night after night. So I wanted to share that with moms And then another thing I wanted to share that was really, really real for me was just the trauma I felt I had emotionally through my very long birth. And I've spoken about this on prior episodes, but just that transition into motherhood, that initial transition, literally just birthing her, was some of the hardest and lowest times for me. I I cried many hours of the days following my labor just because I felt like... I was hard on myself, you know, like I was such a long labor. I thought I should have done better. I thought that she should have been born at least a day earlier. It was such a drawn out labor. I thought of all the things that I must have done wrong to not be able to birth her quicker. I felt like I took her birthday away from her. Like she should have been born a day earlier, but now her birthday is, is the day later. Like it was so strange. And I, I, that's not common for me to do, but that's what showed up for me after labor. And it could have been because of my fluctuating hormones and because I was so exhausted from my, my particular labor. I think what I've really, really learned was when I'm really exhausted and sleep deprived, to never take my thoughts seriously, <laughs> to never make decisions during that time, to just know that I'm I'm most self-reproaching during that time and to know that that will shift and I can move through it once I get good sleep, it's like I'm a whole nother person. And so I hope that that is helpful just to share some of those low vulnerable times to know that even though I make motherhood look amazing and great, we've all been through low times. And so those are some of the ones that I wanted to share with you. And Steph, I know you've been through a lot too, but are there maybe one or two select times that you can share just to really empathize with our listeners? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing yours. I know, you know, it's not always easy to share these things. Um, but you know, both of those things, I, can totally relate to on, you know, different levels. I remember looking out the window and seeing light because I'm just like, oh, like I just felt a little bit more energized when I saw the light because I knew that like we made it another night. And so I could totally relate to that first um, one that you had. And then, you know, just getting mad at myself for, for things. And you talked about when you're not sleeping, you just are not kind to yourself. And my husband and I had a rule that after I think it was like 8 PM, we, we like would forgive each other for the things that we said. We're like anything that happens between like 8 PM and 5 AM, like, I'm sorry. Like just like every (laughs) night we're just like, I'm sorry, because we knew we wouldn't be kind to each other because we're so tired and frustrated. And so we just kind of had this rule and we said some nasty things to each other. And then we would kind of laugh about it in the morning. Like, oh my God, like, I'm sorry. It was the, the witching hours for us. So that's so true. And I relate to that. I think, you know, for me, the, the two that come up, one of them actually was even this weekend was a co-sleeping thing. And every time Otto would come in 
my room, you know, that inconsistency and the incongruency with what I thought I should be doing and what I wanted to do. I, I, I yelled, I yelled a couple of times, like go back in your room. And that is not like me. You know, I just got so irritated because I wanted it to be perfect overnight. Right. I wanted him to just be okay, fine. I'll sleep with you. Okay, fine. That's I won't sleep with you. And that's not how people work. You know, behavior change needs to happen more gradually, especially when you're a kid and you've been doing this for four years. So, um, you know, just raising my voice and really getting angry and just like scary mommy at him, um, when he was just looking for connection and like, that feels awful thinking about it now and how I treated him. And, and it really stemmed from that thinking things needed to be a certain way because of a, a specific number and age that he was. So that's one of them that I just feel so real right now for me. And then the second would probably be, you know, not giving myself enough space, right? Anytime this happens where I think that I should be present for them all the time. Like for example, weekends, you know, they're in daycare during the week and then on weekends, I'm like, okay, great. Yay. I can be like full-time mom and like have all this special time with them. But they're at an age where they're pretty exhausting, uh, you know, two-year-old and a four-year-old boy. And sometimes I think I need to be like with them and present with them 24 hours a day, each day of the weekend. And by Sunday, I'm like, man, I can't wait to take you to take care tomorrow. Right. And I find that that's the case when I don't give myself an hour away every day. And it sounds so ridiculous that I can't give myself an hour away from them a day, but you know, it happens where Otto won't take a nap during the weekend. And then I am like full-time mommy and not giving myself that space that I need. And my husband's working some extra hours right now. So I'm taking over a lot of time on the weekends with them. And so I start to get resentful. And as soon as I start to get resentful and think like, oh my gosh, I could be getting so much more done if I wasn't a mom or like, why did I sign up for this? Or I start to get into those feelings. I know I it's always a hundred percent correlation that I haven't given myself at least, you know, an hour away, away from them. So that's very real, that resentment and something that I am working on. But the more, you know, I just, the more that it happens, the more that I'm able to identify it right away and fix it. So Steph, I know we were going to talk about this later in the interview, but it's so perfect right now is it's that push pull analogy that Dr. Sachs talked about. And you're, what you're talking about with that is like, gosh, I just, I want to get to my work. I'm so passionate about my work. Like, oh, why do I have to take care of these kids kind of thing? It's so real. And I've had that feeling too. And I'm like, shocked by it because my priority, and I know your priority is your family, right? Like it's clear to us. Our priority is family. It's good health. I mean, we really, really want to nurture that. And we both like love helping moms. Like, I think it's so clear. Like we do these podcasts, we take hours on our time. We do our Facebook private groups. We love it. In fact, I wish I could be on my group like every day, all day. Cause it's so much fun for me. And I know you feel that same way. Like we, we write blogs. We, we do so much. We love helping. And there are times that like we can't because we get to be with our kids or we get to be in the kitchen to cook or we get to be grocery shopping. And I use the word get very mindfully because sometimes it does feel like we're pulled away from really what we want to do. And and we have to remind myself ourselves that like, no, our kids are so important and we love them. 
So I really wanted to talk to you a little bit more about this push-pull analogy because I really resonated with it a lot. And I wanted to see how it kind of works in your life and just kind of chat a little bit about it because I know we've got other mom listeners out there that like we all know we love our kids and there are times that we can really resent them because we want to do our work. So let's talk a little bit about that. What do you think about this push-pull analogy? I think it was such a great way to explain things that are that women are feeling, but they don't know how to vocalize them or they don't don't know exactly what's going on. I think sometimes, you know, even with like health conditions, if you can label what's going on, there gives, you get more clarity around it. Right. So I, I really, really like that. And I think it's something that we, we all feel like we think we can feel it emotionally and physically, and, and you can clearly think about it mentally too, what is going on. And, so I really, really liked that concept um, at surface level. And I do feel like it's really present in my life. I love to give. I love to give to other people. I love to give to my immediate family. But I know that I can't do that um, 100% or from a place of not feeling resentful if I don't give to myself first and kind of feed myself first. There is Rachel Hollis was talking about this. I, I love her. People that follow me know that I'm like obsessed with her. And she talks about like yourself as a vase and this vase is empty and you can pour water in it, right? And if you are trying to scoop out some of that water that's being poured into you and love from your friends and your family and your community and just all the good things. That's the water that's being poured to you. And as moms, we want to just like take buckets from that vase and just splash it out and give, give, give to other people. And what happens is there comes to a point where like the amount that you are getting flooded in, that water that's coming in, isn't enough to keep up with what's being pulled out. And there comes a time where you're just giving away so much that that glass just starts falling over and falling over and falling over and eventually breaks. Whereas if you can, you know, give to yourself and not give to other people all the time and deplete yourself, that vase can stand there really proud and accept that love and accept all that like acknowledgement and you feel really good and you're not going to break. And so I really liked that analogy too. I think that's like pairs very nicely with this is we have to make sure that we are not giving everything that we're getting. And so we're able to stand tall. Mm, I love that analogy. And I'm just thinking, like I'm going back to when I was just this like brand new mom and my baby was so dependent on me, right? Anthony couldn't breastfeed, right? So it was me doing all the nursing or there was so much of that like need that my baby was dependent on me and I did feel like I was giving so much. And I think that's why in those first few months, it is so important to receive from others and that we need our village to be able to give to us because we're not always able to have that same balance because we've got this child who's so dependent on us and we're lacking that sleep and we're having such a hard time. So I think that's probably a really important thing is during this matrescence time. And again, this can be years, but specifically that first few months where baby is so dependent on mom is that we're really, really reaching out to our support system so that we can like keep our vase standing tall. 
That's one thing that I'm really pouring into this postpartum program that I'm creating right now is identifying like what those things are and and hopefully helping moms, you know, moms purchase a program or get access to the program before baby comes because, you know, it's much easier to identify those when you don't have a baby crying and attached to you all the time and you're able to think more clearly because you're getting the sleep, but it's never too late at the same time. But that is something that I'm really committed to helping is because it's hard. It's it can be hard sometimes figuring out like what are the things that really make you feel like you and make you feel good and your non-negotiables for your health and non-negotiables for your relationships and non-negotiables for what your house looks like and how it operates. Because when you have that clear plan and you can schedule help that you need, like you love, you can have a stronger base, right? We want to have that solid foundation because then everything else just feels more doable, mm-hmm. right? And it, you're more resilient. You know, Steph, I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway from everything, even from our past episode with Dr. Campbell and this episode with Dr. Sachs is almost just like plan for what your postpartum transition may be at its worst. I mean, I know that's kind of sad to say, but like, why not plan for the worst so that it can only be better? So for example, potentially because I have a thyroid issue, maybe I do end up having a Hashimoto's thyroiditis flare, or perhaps maybe I do fall into a postpartum depression with my next child. Okay. So if that happens, what are the resources I'm already going to have? What are the appointments I'm already going to schedule? Cause you know, I can always cancel them if I don't need them. Who are the people that I'm going to have in my court, you know, like really close to me. So I know who I can reach out to and just so I have that ready, because when you're really lacking that sleep, it's so hard to want to pick up the phone and call and, and ask for help. Or it's so hard to even think about what your plan may be. Like you're, you're just trying to get through like the bare minimum of eating, going to the bathroom and nursing. Like, you know, like that's all you kind of have in you. And so why not like during your pregnancy is like really set yourself up to win. And, you know, because I love planning and I love scheduling stuff. It's like, that's kind of what I'm going to be doing for my my next pregnancy is, or my next postpartum is just kind of like planned for it. And I feel so fortunate that I've got a great community. And I know that is, if you're listening as a mom, we're here for you, you know, like we're part of that community and we love supporting you. And we've all been there and we've, you know, all been through our, our highs and lows. And to be honest, Steph, it really kind of felt good sharing some of my lows. It's, it feels good sharing my story. It doesn't always have to be so pretty and fun. Like this is real life and we like to be raw and authentic. And I'm happy to share that. So maybe, you know, another takeaway is just to have moms practice sharing those vulnerable times and sharing those lows because it's actually very therapeutic. It's great to talk about them. It feels good. It's almost like I'm completing it. And now we can move on and set ourselves up to either prevent it next time or really be proactive so that we know exactly what to do if we are experiencing it and what our, our resources and tools are. Yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting, Ilana, that you mentioned that too, because it's funny, you know, I have no problem talking to you about this stuff or, you know, the thousands of listeners that are listening, but you know, it's not, that's not always the case for other people. And I remember there were times I would go to the park and talk to moms that I've never met before. And I would start talking about some of these things and they would look at me and they're like, 
oh my God, you think that too? Like they were so surprised that I would start talking about some negative things of motherhood or like, oh, well, you know, we had to go do this today. And that was a whole lot of fun and like kind of laughing it off. And they're like, oh my gosh, like I don't have to pretend to enjoy every part of it. Like this is crazy. And I feel like it's getting better. Like I feel like we're able to kind of talk about um, motherhood with the motherhood unfiltered and motherhood unplugged hashtags. But there definitely still are areas of the country where it's it's like you, you kind of stay quiet about this and that doesn't serve anybody. Well, maybe I'm an open book and I think you are too. Maybe that's why we get along so yeah. well too. But I'll tell you, <laughs> I think I share because it is, it's therapeutic for me. And it's also, it's, it's depth. Like I personally don't like the superficial conversations when I meet someone at the park. Like if we're going to talk about something, let's talk about something like meaningful. So like, Hey, how's your day? Let's be real about it. Like not like, Oh, how's your day? Oh, everything's great. Oh, how's the weather? Oh, everything's fine. Like that is boring to me. You know, I, I mean, and obviously I think that's why I was attracted to working with people is I want to hear their pains and their suffering. Like I want to try to help with a solution. Like I love contributing to people. And what I really got clear on is that if I wasn't real with people and I wasn't sharing authentically, then I wasn't even giving them the opportunity to help me. And it feels really good to help people. I love helping people. And so I know the next mom loves helping people too. So if I feel comfortable, feel vulnerable and want to share, I'm also giving the opportunity to that mom to then contribute to me. And that helps fill her tank. I just got my tank fill and now we're both really happy and it's awesome. So maybe that's another big takeaway is just like really reach out because moms are like wanting to give. And so we get to really be there for each other. And when we really need it most to really reach out so that other people can help us. So I, I think yeah. that's great. And it just takes practice and practice and really feeling safe with that, you know, with that group of people or that one person. But why not practice and be there? Because when you really can relate to someone, that's when you really form really deep friendships. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about this, you know, in our Healthy Mom, Happy Baby community with how you share information and how you um, help support other moms. And one of the best ways that I found to do this is not coming from that should, right? That should word again, but coming from like, oh, like your baby is doing this. What worked for me and my baby was blah, 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 blah. And when you give information like that, when you're offering what worked for you, it's less direct and it's less like you dictating what what that mom should do because she might think co-sleeping with your four-year-old is the craziest idea and who in the right mind would want to do it. And me saying like, oh, your baby's not sleeping. Oh, you should probably sleep with your baby till they're four. <laughs> like that wouldn't work so well. Um, but offering information in like, a, oh, this is what worked for my family is a really, um, it's not a confronting way to go about doing it. And it allows you to open up because I think sometimes it comes from a place of love and support. Like, hey, I want to help this mom. But if she's not into it, it might just cause more tension. Mm, that's a good point. I can understand that. Well, I think that's why just coming from a place of no judgment and just saying, hey, this is what works for me. Maybe this can work for you, you know, or, hey, you know, I, I learned about this idea. Perhaps it can help or not instead of like shitting. Right? Yeah. So, you got it. no, I absolutely agree. And that's where I think as moms and as women in general is just having confidence around your decisions and your choices and, you know, just sharing of from a place of, okay, well, one thing works for you, but this works for me and that's it. And if things don't work for me, then reach out and see what works for other people. Maybe just try it on. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay too. So yeah, I think that's interesting. We could probably have a whole episode just on this, <laughs> but I think probably we should end now. I love this yes. topic so much. I know you do too. Very cool. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. So 
Thank you, everybody, for listening to our episode today, our recap with Dr. Sachs. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your mama friends. You can do this multiple ways. You can take a picture of your podcast player and share it on social media via your stories or on your feed and let other mamas know that this is out there for them if they want the help. Or you can leave us a comment. Let us know what you enjoy about this episode. You can do that either on Dr. Ilana Romel at Seth Grinky or at Whole Mamas Club whenever we post a picture of the podcast when it comes out. Or you can let us know what you enjoyed about this episode by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. We love reading your iTunes reviews. It really helps us narrow in on the things that you find interesting, helps us find guests to answer questions that you have. And we also really want to hear ways that you're nourishing yourself. And the best way to do that is to really share some of your your own unique self-care strategies with our other mamas and mamas to be on your iTunes review. You can create your own Nourish Yourself segment in your iTunes review. And we would love to hear that. And we'll share them on future shows so that you can hear how other mamas and mamas to be across the world are nourishing themselves. And don't forget all of our episodes are on wholemamasclub.com forward slash podcast. You can review our show notes there. You can find past episodes and you can leave some questions and comments for future shows. Please remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions and are intended for general information purposes only. Now go on, have a great day and nourish and nurture yourself and your family.